Thank you, Pastor Prater. So good to be here. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time. Flew in on Friday evening into the, uh, the giant airport of Liberal, Kansas. And uh, what an awesome, I love it. I, I, I'm from the, a bigger city. I grew up in big city in Northern California and Southern California. I love being in this, uh, this town and small town where uh, we walked into the restaurant last night and Brother Prater's waving at people. And I love the fact you get to know folks and I've just enjoyed this. I was taking pictures everywhere I go and talking to my wife last night, said, honey, you need to come out and see this. You would love it. And uh, I've been associated and known of your um, your church and your ministry here for quite some time. I guess, I don't know how long it would be, Brother and Mrs. Prater, six or seven years ago, I was a, a couples class teacher, and a young married couple walked into my couples class by the name of Kelby and Tiffany Tom Tomlinson. And uh, I got to meet them as he would just, uh, I think that was when he was with, the, was at San Jose Giants, right? And I was in Santa Clara, San Jose area, and got to know the Tomlinsons, and then, of course, the family came out and visited them, and so I got to meet your pastor, and then Brother Tyler has come out and, and two different times in Southern California preached uh, the teen camp that our teenagers go to. And the Lord has just knit our youth group and our youth pastor's heart with him and his preaching. I talked to my daughter yesterday. She's 16. You pray for me. She got her driver's license last month. And, uh, and uh, she's 16 years old. And she told me yesterday, when I talk, talked with her, she said, make sure you say hi to Brother Tyler. And the Lord's used his preaching and his ministry in the lives of our young people. And then, of course, through social media and things, I've seen uh, pictures and videos and things of what God's doing here. And I've been excited for months to be with you folks. And I've not been disappointed. The, uh, the Amen Conference, thank you for your labor, for your service, uh, for your giving. I know the, uh, the I don't want to say it's the burden, but I know the, the effort that is put on a church to host a meeting like that, and only eternity will tell all that God did through that event and that God is doing through your church. And you made it to Sunday school on Daylight Savings Weekend. Give yourselves a hand right there. You deserve, you, you woke up, you got to church, and you can feel like you are more spiritual than all the other folks that are late to uh, church tonight. As the Pharisee prayed, I thank God that I'm not as other men. You're here on time. And uh, Brother Tyler, I heard in, in honor of Daylight Savings, we're going to open up the morning service with the hymn, How Late Thou Art, I think is what we're going to do this morning. And uh, folks lost an hour of sleep. We all lost an hour. I flew in on Friday and lost two coming from California. So that means it is 645 California time. Which means, you know what, it's what we should all do right now is go back to bed right now. Let's just go. So I cannot be responsible for what I'm saying at 6.45 in the morning, Brother Freighter. And so I, I, I say incoherent things every Sunday in my church, but today I have an excuse, so I trust you'll put up with that a little bit. 1 Timothy, chapter number 6, if you have your Bibles. We're going to go to 1 Timothy, chapter number 6. And again, I'm so excited and honored uh, to be here. I'm thankful for how God has used this church. Thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, I was talking with uh, your pastor and, and Brother Tyler and just different names and different families and came up and folks that are talked about some, some, so many of the new families that God has been adding to the church and then talked about folks that have been faithfully serving for decades in different areas of this church and to God be the glory and thank you for your faithfulness. First Timothy 6. And uh, I, I have, I'm set up right now to be the least favorite guest speaker in the history of Fellowship Baptist Church. You've never met me, and I'm going to come in and preach about stewardship three times today. And uh, folks love it when we talk about that, don't we? The truth of the matter is, teaching on biblical principles of stewardship should not be something that we dread. It's not something that we do to people. 
To understand biblical principles of stewardship is something that we do for people. Because as we understand how God wants us to manage our time, our talents, our resources, our treasures, if you will, we will more, be more pleasing to Him. We'll find more fulfillment, more satisfaction in our own lives, and we will lay up for ourselves eternal rewards. But it's amazing. The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We're tied very tightly to the things that God blesses us with. And if we have a wrong understanding of that, sometimes we can kind of be like, get your grubby hands off my money. What's that, Pastor? Who does he think he is talking about this stuff? And, uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, we'll get to this in the morning service. It's not your money. It's not my money. But we need to understand what God's Word teaches. And for those that, that might be naturally skeptical of a pastor or a church talking about finances, let me just say, Christ spoke much of stewardship, of money, of, of dealing with material goods. He spoke more about this subject than he did heaven and hell. Now, that's not to say that's because our, our understanding of finances is, or, or stewardship is more important than heaven or hell. It's to, it's, I believe it's because Christ understood that those two things, uh, they, they're tied directly together. Our, our relationship with our material goods is tied directly to our spiritual lives. We cannot, Christ didn't teach on it more because money is more important than heaven, but he understood we cannot separate our hearts from our stuff, our faith from our finances. It's impossible. Isn't it interesting, the one disciple who struggled uh, with a wrong relationship with finances also had a wrong relationship with Christ, Judas. This topic is, is not, and, and as you understand, he mentioned, I'm right now in the midst of an eight-week series on, on stewardship in our church, our home church. Last week was week number five, and today I'm going to bring you three of those messages that I've just in the last two months brought to our church family, and they've challenged my heart. They've challenged me personally. I believe they've helped our church family. That's my prayer today, and it's, this, is, this is being tackled in a proactive way. Pastor Prater didn't call me and say, hey, our offerings are really struggling. We're, we're struggling to pay the bills uh, that doesn't mean the church has just tons of, of overflowing money, but the church is in a healthy spot financially. This isn't some manipulation of, hey, we really need to get a few extra thousand dollars out of here, and, and could you come in and kind of twist everybody's arm? That's not what this is about at all. This is about a church family hopefully seeing some things maybe they've seen before, maybe some reminders, and maybe some things we've not seen or, 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 or maybe not seen in that light, and, and us growing, the, by the way, the Bible calls... The, gift, the, the grace of giving, it calls it a grace. Growing in the grace of giving. Boy, that's a gracious person. None of, us would, none of us would think twice about being challenged to grow in our faith, would we? I want you to grow in your faith. Uh, yes. I want you to grow in your knowledge of the Bible. Boy, that's, I, I'm, thank you, Pastor, for challenging me to know about, more about God's Word. I want you to grow in, in being a stronger, bolder witness for Christ. Uh, Pastor, thank you for challenging me there. I want you to grow as a giver. What are you talking about? Who do you think you are? The Bible says as you grow in those, we'll see it later on today, as you grow in those graces, grow in this grace also. It's a challenge from God's word. So I hope it'll be a help to you. What is stewardship by way of introduction? What is stewardship? Stewardship is simply the management of someone else's goods. A steward is a manager. You and I are not owners. We'll get to that in the morning service. So I won't spend much time there. But we are managers. If God has entrusted children to your care, they're not yours. They're his. 
Those are eternal souls that God entrusted to your care. You're a steward of those children. You're a manager of those children. If God has entrusted health to your care, you're a steward of that health. If God has entrusted finances, a, a career, knowledge, we are stewards. It is God that giveth thee the power to get wealth. We are stewards, managers, not owners. By way of introduction, I want to show you a picture. I think we have that picture of, of Lucy. Do we have that? And right there, this, this young lady, this is uh, Lucy Thomas, a young lady who grew up in England. Lucy, and, and by the way, he, if we'll go back to that first slide. I, 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 skipped, I messed up on you. Go back to the title, and we're going to answer three questions today in our series. The first question we're going to answer this morning is, are you rich? We're going to answer that biblically and then understanding where we live in, in, in society today in 2019. And so we're going to answer three questions. Are you rich is, is this morning's question. Let's go back to that picture, if you will. Amen. And Lucy grew up in England. Her dad's a journalist. And together they shared Lucy's story. You see, when we see a photo of Lucy, I, I, would, I would suggest that most of us see a, a, a photo that looks like a healthy young lady that looks to be in good health, is, is not, it, you know, it seems to uh, uh, be carrying herself well, is not necessarily struggling with obesity or anything of that nature. She seems to be a healthy young lady with a, that, that's taken pretty good care of herself. But for many years, we see that, for many years, that's not what Lucy saw. You see, Lucy struggled with anorexia, a mental and, and eating disorder that millions of people struggle with and here's the interesting thing, as I read Lucy's story, she said, and, and others that I read said, most anorexics do not see themselves as fat. We think that an anorexic, when they look in the mirror, they see themselves as fat, and that's why they, they have this eating disorder and they can't eat anymore. They do not see themselves as fat. They see themselves as not thin enough. So we look and say, she looks healthy. Now you look at the next photo Lucy, at one point, had gotten all the way down. That was a picture at the, at the height of her struggle with anorexia. She had got all the way down to 77 pounds. How did she go from number one to number two? It was a wrong understanding of who she really was. We look at the first picture and say, there's nothing wrong. She looks at it and says, I'm not thin enough. And, and for the anorexic, it's never thin enough. I want to show you the next picture. This is a family photo of mine. And I'm not going to ask if you think the guy in that picture looks thin enough or not, but when you look at the guy in that picture, my, there's my wife Tiffany and our five kids a few years ago, and, and when you look at me, do you see someone, you don't have to answer this out loud, do you see someone that is rich? I'll tell you the truth, I'm a, I'm a pastor and God's people take good care of me, but when I look at that picture, when I look at myself, I don't see someone that's poor, but I don't see someone that's rich enough. You see, the anorexic doesn't see someone that's fat. They're just not thin enough. And for you and for me, most of us, and I don't know your backgrounds, I don't know your businesses, I don't know your bank accounts, I don't know your 401ks, I don't know any of those things. For most of us, we would not say, I would think that maybe there are some that would, but most of us probably would not say, I'm poor, but I'm not rich enough. I'm, I'm not rich. So we don't see it. Like Lucy doesn't see herself correctly. Many of us don't see ourselves in light of the big picture correctly. And our understanding of stewardship from this passage starts with this foundational question answering, are you rich? Understanding, that, no, I'm not poor, but I'm just middle class. I'm not rich 
enough. I don't see, when I look at that, a poor person, but I see someone who is not rich enough. And for most of us, it would be the same. We've convinced ourselves we are not rich, right? We are middle class or maybe lower middle class or upper middle class. The rich are those people that have yachts. The rich are those people that have private jets. The rich are those people that own sports teams. Those are the, the rich people, not me. The rich are people like Bill Gates. Interesting story. Bill Gates went over to India. He was in a village in India, and he was meeting with a, a lady in her hut with a dirt floor. True story. And he was there talking with her and, and the translator through a translator. And as Bill Gates left her dirt floor hut, the translator asked the lady, she said, do you understand at that time, he was the richest man in America. Do you understand that you were, just, you, you were just talking to one of the wealthiest men in the world? You know what her response was? Everyone from the West is rich. People see us around the world differently than we see ourselves, don't they? Oh, I'm not rich because I can look all around America and find people much wealthier than me. I was in Cuba last week. Most people there make 100 U.S. dollars per month. If we compared that, let's say, are we rich? It's all about perspective, understanding who we are, where we live, how we live, and in those ways. First Timothy chapter number 6, I want you to see Paul talking to his son in the faith, Timothy, here in, in this letter. And Paul is telling Timothy how to uh, teach and work with and and challenge those that have been blessed materially. And we're going to get to it in a minute, but, but I want to give you a little spoiler alert. The answer to the question for all of us in this room about are you rich is yes. We are all truly blessed and even materially speaking. First Timothy chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 17. Would you read it aloud with me? First Timothy 6, verse number 17. Ready? Begin. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18 says that they do good. That they be rich in what church? In good works. Ready to what? Distribute. Willing to what? Communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. All three of our messages today, and we'll go to a couple other passages and we'll bring some other scripture, but all three of our messages, the text will begin in this passage right here, 1 Timothy 6. Paul tells Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world. So before we find out if this command and this challenge is for us, we have to answer that question, is that me? Am I rich in this world? If the answer is yes, then I've got to look at what the rest of this says. And so this morning, by way of introduction, as we lay a foundation, I want to challenge you to do three things in this, in this lesson. Number one, I want to challenge you to accept the label. Number two, I want to challenge you to acknowledge the side effects. And number three, I want to challenge you to adjust your heart. What do I mean by accept the label? Paul tells Timothy to charge or challenge, charge them that are what? Church, he says charge them that are rich in this world so we have to we have to accept the label if this if this passage is for us it's why the question is are you rich we have to accept that label and this morning i want to congratulate you and let you know that celebration is in order because paul is talking about you and he's talking about me step one is for us to accept the label and understand we are rich because if rich is only the people with the yachts then we don't have to do what this says 
But the truth of the matter, and you say, well, and, and I know what 99% in this room are, are saying, you don't know me, and you don't know my income, and you don't know how I live, and I'm not buying it, and you're thinking I'm not rich. Well, let me just give you a few, few illustrations that might help challenge your thinking in this. If you have ever driven onto a car lot in a car that's running fine, given someone the keys to that car, and then gave them extra money to drive off the lot in a different car that's running fine so that you can drive home to park it in a garage next to another car that's running fine, you are rich. If you've ever cleared the fridge out of old food, a.k.a. leftovers, that you don't feel like eating anymore so that you could put in new food from the grocery store in light of the world's population, you're rich. If you've ever stared at a closet full of clothes and told yourself, I just don't have anything to wear. How many of us this morning? You were there this morning. All right, be honest, ladies. All right, Brother Frank. <laughs> he's, he's giving you away over there. And uh, how many of you, that's, you, you look at and you've got this closet. What am I going to wear today? That's a rich person problem. There are many places in the world, billions of people that do not have to make that choice every day. They have one or two pairs of clothing. Uh, if, if, if you own an animal that you pay to keep alive and you have no intention of eating said animal or at least using its fur for a covering one day, you are rich. Have you ever complained about bad cell phone coverage? That's a rich person problem. Have you ever, you, you ever had, can't decide where you're going to go on vacation? Rich people problems. Your computer crashed. Slow internet, car trouble, flight delays, Amazon doesn't have your size. All of those are rich people problems. Truly. I challenge our church family. I sat, we're taking about 38 people to Tanzania this summer in, in East Africa. I challenge them before your children graduate, take them on a foreign missions trip to another country. And if, if possible, even like a third world country, it, it, it just changes your perspective. You understand the blessings we've been given. Do you understand that the American middle class, which many in this church would fall into, the American middle class, we are some of the richest people in history, living in the richest nation on the earth at the richest time in history, and yet we walk around thinking, what do I have? We live, you and I, the poorest people in, in, in this church, whoever that might be, live nicer than the vast majority of the world today, and, and some of the poorest people in this church live nicer than kings would have lived centuries ago. We have been blessed. And so before we jump into this passage, we have to understand that thing of stewardship, that thing of being generous, that thing of, of using my goods for God's glory, that's for somebody else because I'm not rich. I hope the rich, that's, that's what, our, that's what you know, the, the Democrats want to talk about is let's, let's do the tax on the ultra-rich. Let's make them carry all the, and we don't like that probably. Most of us probably don't like that idea of socialism or, or let's, let's take all the money from the rich and give it to the poor. But then we come into God's work and we have some of the same mentality. Well, I've not been blessed. I, I, right now, it's a really tough time. I'm paying off student loans, and I'm, I, I really can't get involved there, and I can't be a good steward there, and I don't know if we really can afford to give right now because right now, we're just trying to scratch out an existence. We just got married. We got this young family, and we're trying to get this going. And once I get the braces paid off, and once we get the kids through college, and once we do that, but I know so-and-so, he's a business owner. I sure hope he's generous. 
We get the same mentality if we're not careful. And God's word said, charge them that are rich in this world. You you still don't believe me that you're rich. Think about this. In our Western culture today, we observe a five-day work week. Think about what that means. Most people have to only work five days in order to have seven days worth of food, shelter, clothing, and health care. We take that for granted, but that's unique to our little window of history. What's more, there are households of three, four, or more people that sometimes send only one person out into the workplace to earn money. With that one person's earning, an entire family can amass enough money in five days to give them food and shelter for seven days. In many cultures, that's inconceivable. If you've ever been on a missions trip to a non-first world country, you know that I'm telling the truth about that. We are literally the richest people in the history of the world, and we can't admit that we are rich. Let me give you a fact that that I I read. I don't know if it's Money Magazine. I can't remember the source right now. But if your household income is $48,000 per year, that means everyone's income combined coming into your home is $48,000 per year or more, you are in the top 1% of the population of our world. You say, well, that's not my my household. If it's $37,000, everybody's income combined in your home, if it's $37,000 per year or more, you're in the top 4% in the world. Well, I don't have a yacht. I don't have a private jet. I don't even own a home. I rent. I rent an apartment. I live with my, whatever it might be. My suggestion, well, all I'm trying to say is we need to get a proper view, just like the anorexic doesn't have a proper view of themselves. You and I often, because of what we compare ourselves to, do not have a proper view of who we are. Most of us are in the top 1% or 4% of the population of the world, but somehow we don't want to admit that we're rich. The problem is we don't feel rich. The problem is we don't see ourselves as rich, and because of that, we try extra hard to become rich. We, we, We get so absorbed in the effort to get rich, we no longer recognize when we are rich. Gallup conducted a poll to see how different socioeconomic groups defined rich. Not surprisingly, everybody had a different definition, and nobody thought that they fit it. If we were to ask in this room, who's rich, and had you write it down, we would all have different definitions, and probably it wouldn't identify with any of us. You know what was interesting? Gallup's poll, what they figured out, what they found in this poll, uh, was was that uh, for each and every person rich or, or financially secure was roughly double the amount that they possessed that was possessed by the person defining it. So if, if the person, that, that uh, their income was 30000 in that poll, they described rich or financially secure, if you will, as being perceived as rich, making 74000 a year. The person that made 50000 a year, they described as, as rich or perceived as rich as someone that made 100000 a year. The person that made 100000 a year from Gallup, they described the person that made 200000 a year. And it didn't matter what they had, rich was that moving target, whatever was next. Where we live, where I pastor, I pastor in Newport Beach, California, and and, and as you get closer to the water, you get nicer homes and a lot of affluence. It's amazing how affluence continues to change, and what I would view as somebody living in a million, million and a half, two million dollar home, boy, that person really, then you go, those people look at the people living in the ten million dollar home on the water, and those people look at those that are living in the twenty million dollar estate. It's this constant moving target, and if that's the case, if none of us are rich, and if the one making 100000 isn't rich, and the one making 250000 isn't rich, and the millionaire says, I'm not rich because I need $10 million, and $10 million says, I need $100 million, then this passage is not for anybody. And Paul wrote it for no reason. 
And, and, and it's pointless, but the truth of the matter is it's for you and it's for me. And, and so I want us to accept the label. The sad part about our richness is studies show that the richer people get, the smaller the percentage of money they give away. Having lots of money doesn't, you and I have been blessed materially, but having lots of stuff or lots of money doesn't make us being good at being rich any more than having lots of children makes us good at parenting. Following God's plan for our material goods is what makes us good at being rich. And people who are good at being rich begin with the willingness to admit that they are, in fact, rich. If you want to insert the word blessed because your mind just can't admit you're rich, that's fine. But we have all been abundantly blessed. And that's who Paul's talking to. Charge them that are rich in this world. Those, and, and when we look, no matter what metric we look at, we are the rich ones in this world today in 2019. And we are the rich ones throughout history. So we have to answer that question. Again, I'm not talking about admitting that you aren't poor. I'm, I'm talking about we need to admit that we have been blessed. We are rich. Well, no, I'm in the middle class. Exactly my point. American middle class is rich. And so, number one, accept the label. Number two. Paul jumps to Timothy and he says, acknowledge the side effects. Would you see it in verse number 17 there? Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not, what church? That they be not high-minded. Nor, what church? Trust in uncertain riches. Did you know there are some side effects that come with the blessings of God? I have a message that I've preached before. It's called, Beware of God's Blessings. It comes from, I think it's Deuteronomy, it comes from the Old Testament. They're getting ready to enter the promised land. And Moses says to them, but when thou come into this land filled with milk and honey, you come into this place with all these blessings, he uses the word, beware lest thou forget. I'm thankful for God's blessings, but there are some dangers to God's blessings. The, The blessing of God can cause us to forget the God of the blessing. When we get filled up with with these things, we can sometimes lose and forget what God has given to us. And he says, charge them. And the first thing he says, acknowledge the the, the side effects. The first thing he says there is that they be not high-minded. Well, one man, Schopenhauer, said, wealth is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. Solomon, the richest man on earth, said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. If if what you're living for is stuff, there's never going to be enough stuff. The target is always moving. Now, what I like the fact, and we're going to get to this, you don't have to feel guilty about being blessed. You don't have to feel badly that you are in the top 1 or 4 or 5% of the population of the world. Paul didn't say charge them that are rich in this world that they become poor. He said charge them that they deal with their material goods in a God-honoring way. And the first thing to do that is to understand and acknowledge the side effects. If you were to take any medicine, you want to know what the side effects are. He said acknowledge the side effects. So what are the side effects? Number one, it is pride. When we have been blessed, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Verse number 17, be not high-minded, stay humble, pride, having an inflated sense of self-worth. When your your net worth and my net worth is inflated, it only makes sense that our self-worth could easily be inflated as well. When our net worth gets inflated, the natural tendency is for our self-worth to get inflated. Because we measure our value by our valuables so often. We measure who we are by what we have. 
And he says, watch out for pride. The more a person possesses, the greater his potential to acquire a distorted sense of reality. And this starts early on as children. Culture tells us that we are defined in large part by what we possess. It starts in elementary and middle school, doesn't it? Do you remember when you got those new tennis shoes? Two overpriced slabs of rubber, some string and some glue with a swoosh stitched on the side, but now everybody's noticing you and you're walking around with a little more swag. You walk into school and you're trying to act like you don't want anyone to notice, but you're watching their eyes to see if they notice. Lift up your pant leg a little bit, make sure they see it. Very early on, we, f- we measure our self-worth by our net worth. We measure our value by our valuables. You see the new suit I got? Check out the new car. Nothing wrong with the new car. I've bought a new car. But we, we somehow think that proves I, I have achieved. I have arrived. Look at who I am. I'm, I'm better than them. I pulled myself by my own bootstraps. And look at the life I carved out. By the way, again, it is God that giveth thee the power to get wealth. Exactly. And he says here, charge them that are rich in this world. Is that you and me? Talk to me, church. Are we rich? Yes. We are. That they be not high-minded. Get lifted up in pride. Look at me. Look at what I have. Look at what I've accomplished. That they, It's a danger for those of us that have been blessed to get lifted up in pride. And, and either we view ourselves more highly than we should because of our wealth, or we help others have an inflated view of self by treating that person who, is, who has money differently or better uh, in, our, in our church, our school. It's a unique situation where we're located, and we have a former NBA player who has children in our Christian school, and so through his agent, at at the time, his agent was the same agent for Kobe Bryant, Rob Polinka. He's now the general manager for the Lakers, and so Rob was in our gym often. His kids played summer league in our gym. So Rob asked us if we could host a pro day for Buddy Heald and Marquise Chris, two uh, NBA uh, lottery, uh, draft, draft lottery players. They both went in the top 10, and so pretty much all the GMs from around the country came to our gym and sat in there and watch these two guys go through individual workouts. Well, at the end of one of those, Kobe Bryant came in to talk to those things. And you know, it's amazing because of his success and because of what he has, it's amazing how differently, every, myself included, everyone treats him. He walks in and everybody's staring and standing. Can I have a picture? He's like, not right now. And we leave him alone and we, oh, and, and if we can hold the door open and he shakes our hand, we're so excited. Why? Because we view the value of who he is by his net worth. And I fall into the same trap. And he said, charge them that are rich that they be not high-minded. Be careful. You ever see a video of some celebrity that gets pulled over by the police? What do they say? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know? I'm calling my lawyer. What? They they are high-minded. Paul said, and you say, well, that's just for the celebrity. That can happen to us, too. I'm better than those people. Look at me, I'm one, of the, I'm one of the best givers in the church. I'm pretty important here. Oh no, you're, you're one of the best givers in the church. That means God has given you great wealth and that's a great responsibility. And those are, that's God's money that he lets funnel through you. Praise God if you're one of the, the largest givers in this church. And I have no idea who that might be. But praise God for it. But that doesn't make you any better than anybody else. Charge them that they be not high-minded. And then he said the second, um, the second side effect is misplaced trust. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. According to Paul, when you are rich, there is a natural tendency for your trust to move toward your riches and away from God. It's one thing to have trust and riches. It's another thing to have trust in riches. 
Be careful as God has blessed you that your trust doesn't move to the stuff you have. And again, naturally, none of us believe we are guilty of this. But we need to make sure, financial planning and stewardship are important, but we need to figure out and make sure that we are not placing our hope in riches. Proverbs 18, verse 11 says, The rich man's wealth is his strong city and is a high wall in his own conceit. What does it mean? He finds his security in what he has. Our security is never in what we have. And by the way, we'll never have enough to mitigate every possible circumstance in life. That's where we have to rest in the Lord. Well, I can't give to that because I've got to lay up for a rainy day. I'm not against saving and I saved, not not as much as I should, but I'm not against thinking about the future and putting away for retirement, I'm not saying that, but be careful that you're not putting all your trust in your future in what you've put away in a bank account. Takes out faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. Well, we can't be generous to that offering. We can't, we can't give groceries to that family. We don't have it right now. If the Lord puts it on your heart, whether you're struggling to get groceries yourself or not, go leave groceries for that family. Don't trust and don't, don't let your wealth become that strong city in your life. God is your strong city. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9 says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Neither give, me, give me neither poverty nor riches. Why? Feed me with food convenient for me. Why? Lest I be what church? I be full and do what deny thee and say who is the lord or lest i be poor and what steal and take the name of my god in vain god help me to have a right view of this help me not to get my focus on what i have or don't have but keep my focus on you because if i'm focused on what i have and i all i want to do is get more i'm going to deny you i'm going to put my trust in riches and not in the living god acknowledge accept the label acknowledge the side effects Those with with money can reach a point where their money becomes their source of safety and security. Buy those things, but don't have trust in them. Proverbs 23, 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Money talks. It says goodbye. That's what the Bible says. Number three, the third side effect is destruction. I have time to go there if you want to jot it down in your, in your notes, if you're taking notes and go back and read it. But verses 9 and 10, what does he say? They that will be rich in this passage fall into many temptations, snares, destruction. It drowns men in destruction and perdition. By the way, that's a mis- it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Those are some of those misunderstood and misquoted verses in the whole Bible. Money is not the root of all evil. Paul actually praises those that are rich and tells them how to use it for God's glory in this passage. The love of money. They that will be rich. You know you can be in utter poverty and be in that that case. I will be rich. I'm going to get out of this. My whole passion and desire is more stuff, stuff, stuff. Whatever I've got to do. I don't care if I've got, I'm I'm quitting church. I'm going here in my career. They that will be rich. What's the side effect? Destruction in their lives. A wrong view of money leads to pride, it leads to a misplaced trust, and it leads to destruction. I've got five minutes. Number three, adjust. I think we've got it. If wealth uh, came as a medicine over the counter, it would have this warning label on it. Warning, may cause arrogance if taken for prolonged periods. May impair perception, causing you to misplace your trust, and if taken incorrectly, may lead to death. If you saw a commercial for wealth on TV, it would be two people holding hands in the park. Meanwhile, the announcer would be listing all the ways it can ruin your kidneys, rot your stomach, cause sudden heart failure, and destroy your life. Paul said, acknowledge the side effects. There are blessings that come from money. It's it's been said uh, something like, money can't buy happiness. 
but it can buy ice cream, and that's kind of the same thing, right? There are some blessings that come with finances and material blessing, and I'm thankful for ice cream and all those other things. But we need to understand a biblical perspective. Are we rich? Yes. Accept the label. Acknowledge the side effects. Number three, adjust your heart. And again, I don't have the time, but if you want to read verses 5 through 11, he tells him, but thou, O man of God, Timothy, that as a man of God, as, as, as a follower of God, flee these things. What is he saying? Change your thinking. Adjust your heart. Consider the side effects. The key is to possess money without it possessing us. So how is this done? We have to make a decision, number one, to adjust our hearts and say, I will trust God. What does he say in that passage in verse 17? That they trust not in riches, but in the living God. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. When our trust moves from our stuff to God, we can obey the principles of God's word about stewardship because our trust, our security, our safety is not in this stuff. It's in him who richly provides. And he said, Paul, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. You don't have to feel guilty about having it. God gave those things to you for, for, to you, uh, for you to enjoy. He gave those things to you. We're going to see it um, tonight. Uh, He gave those things to you for you to use for other people's good and for God's glory. Don't feel guilty that you're some of the richest people on planet earth, but don't fall into the traps that come with that blessing. I will trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Listen to me. Trust him, not just with your eternity, but with your day-to-day life, with your money, with your health, with your family, with your children, with your cares, with all your heart. And then secondly, how do we adjust our, our hearts? We say, I will be grateful. What does he say there in that passage, verse 17? I will not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, I'm going to trust God, who giveth us. Did you know when you understand it's a gift, it brings gratitude? If you earned it, who am I going to be grateful to? I'm grateful to myself. If you view it that it was all me. I'm the one with this brilliant mind. I'm the one that started this business. I'm the one that worked my way up that ladder in that company. I'm the one that, if you did it, you don't have to be grateful to anybody. But if you understand that everything you have is a precious gift from the one who richly provides, I'm so grateful, God. Thank you for this house you've given me. Would you help me to use it for your glory? Children are in heritage of the Lord. It's a gift from God. Thank you for these children. They're not mine, God. I'm so grateful for them. It changes how you deal with them. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. All these gifts you've given me. No, you don't understand. I earned it. I made my, it's a perspective change. I'm going to adjust my heart. I'm going to flee those, that thinking of the world, as he said there in verses 5 through 11, I'm going to flee those things. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11 says, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us, what church causeth through us, what? Thanksgiving to God. The bountifulness of God should lead us to gratitude. Our richness should produce gratitude, not guilt. I hope you're not feeling guilty this morning. That's not my goal. That's not my purpose. On the contrary, I'm hoping our time together leaves you feeling grateful. Because you see, guilt rarely results in positive behavior. But gratitude, oh, great things flow from a heart of gratitude. I bet you've met some rich people who were good at being rich. 
They were generous. They knew how to take care of money without losing it. They weren't overcome by delusional thinking. And while they possessed a lot of money, it was evident their money didn't possess them. And you found that refreshing, didn't you? This introductory week, we need to answer that question, are we rich? This introductory, I said we, you can tell I preach this to my church. This introductory lesson this morning, uh, we, we need to acknowledge that and answer that question. Charge them that are rich. If that's you and if that's me, then the rest of this passage and this morning's message and tonight's message applies to all of us. And by the way, I don't know if you're normally in the habit of coming back on Sunday night. I really believe tonight's message is, is the most practical and it's the one that helped our church the most. I, even if you don't normally come back on a Sunday evening, I hope you'll, you'll do your best to be here tonight. I believe you'll be helped. But, but we need to an- accept the label. I'm not poor. I'm definitely not rich. Accept the label. You're rich. In this world. You might not be rich in, in you know, Beverly Hills, California or New York City, New York. You might not be on Forbes 400 list and neither am I, but we're rich in this world. Accept the label, acknowledge the side effects. What are the side effects of, of handling the, the material goods of this world wrong? Pride, misplaced trust, destruction in our lives, and adjust our hearts. I will trust God, and I will be grateful. Pastor? Pastor?